0: opinions expressed on acb radio are those of the respective program contributors and cannot be assumed to serve as endorsements of products or views of the american council of the blind its elected officials or its staff
1: hello everybody good afternoon welcome to health checkup call today i hope you guys are all having a wonderful beautiful day it's Coming from sunny Florida, where it's a beautiful 68 degrees and sunny. Um, I also have on the line is Jay. And we're going to take this opportunity to talk to you about one of the greatest things that we can do sometimes when you're having a bad day is just go take a nap. But don't take a nap in the next 60 minutes, please. And we appreciate all you guys that are here with us today to talk about this. Hey, Jay, how are you doing? Where are you calling in from
2: today? I'm calling from Tucson, Arizona, where it's 87 degrees outside, and it's beautiful mm-hmm. out here.
1: Wait a minute. Nice and it's sunny. warmer where you are than in Florida?
2: Yes, it is.
1: Okay. All right. Well, we always
2: have the nice, beautiful weather here.
1: Yeah, it is beautiful out there.
2: So We I'll get just... a lot of vitamin D. Yeah. <laughs>
1: And that's a very good vitamin to have. It helps with depression and sleep and motivation and moods. And yep, it's a very important vitamin to have. So those of you, um, we want to say thank you to ACB Media and being streamed live on ACB Community. And those that Tyson, thank you for being our streamer today. Also, thank you to Dan for being our host, the um, Mutant Ninja today. Um, we are going to be doing an interactive till our doctor arrives. Um, We currently, our doctor from the American Academy of Sleep Medicine is not available at this time. I'm not sure if we're having technical difficulties at her side, but we can go ahead and talk about sleep because as a respiratory therapist, um, this is one of the things that I spent out of my four years of a baccalaureate, learning all about sleep. And let me tell you, when I started back in the nine, 1990 in school, it was maybe two chapters that I had to learn about sleep. Now there's a whole entire practice where um, the neurologists also have to get accreditation to be a doctor of sleep itself. So now there's not just a chapter that you learn about it as a respiratory care therapist, but there's a whole entire class on top of it. There's a whole nother certification to become a sleep um, specialist technician. So I could actually go back to school to do that if I could just figure out how to get all the equipment to be able to talk to me. So on that sense. um,
2: And for me. I used to be up all kinds of hours. So sleep was very important to me also (laughs) in a practical sense, because when my pager would go off, I would have to jump out of bed and go at any time.
1: (laughs) And that brings up a great point, Jay. Sleep is so important, no matter who we are, no matter if we're Democrat, Republican, um, you know, Hispanic, Cuban, Canadian, Australian, yellow, purple, Guess what we all have to spend one-third of our lives doing? Do you know what it is, Jay?
2: Sleep. Rest.
1: Oh, right?
2: They say at least we want to have a minimum of seven hours of sleep a day. Yeah.
1: Well, who can give up seven hours when you have so much to do, right? But what we have to realize that that sleep is so important because that's actually the time where the body actually slows down and rebuilds itself. That it slows down and actually does a self-check where it actually um, helps remove some of the toxins and just allows the brain to um, process the day and clarify things. Um, So, Jay, what do you know about circadian rhythms? And I'm not talking about the percussion line of a drum majorette.
2: Well, what I know is that our body has like an internal clock. So we want to go to sleep at the same time, pretty much every Every day, And we want to wake up at the same time every day. So that way our rhythm stays in tune. So that way we won't have to actually use an alarm clock. We'll wake up actually before the alarm clock even goes off.
1: But Jay, it's Saturday. I like to sleep in because I work so hard Monday through Friday. Are you telling me I have to get up at 5.30, 6 in the morning on my weekends off?
2: Well, you can spend an extra hour. Oh, okay. But so, if you... Take what's say a half hour nap during the daytime, no more, because if you take any more than that, then you're taken away from your sleep at night. It'll throw your, your circadian rhythm off.
1: That's right. That's right. So when you take a nap, you want it to actually be less than 20 minutes before you hit deep REM sleep. And we actually was having someone from the American Association of Sleep Medicine come on and talk to us about all this information. So Jay and I did do some research just in case that there was technical difficulties. I did place on our Facebook page of the ACB community her video, Dr. Well, Shakika, Shakika. Shakira. It's very difficult being newly blind, learning how to listen to Jaws say words. So I apologize if I said that wrong. It's S-H-E-L-Q-I-K. So if anybody wants to take a chance at her name properly, give it a try. Um, anyways, the other thing is, is what's so important is, do you know food and alcohol can affect your sleeping patterns?
2: Yes, it can. Yeah, Alcohol can disrupt your sleep. Plus, if you just drank a bunch of liquid, it'll make you get up in the middle of the night and you have to go somewhere.
1: Would that be the restroom, but not where you get to rest and sleep?
2: That's right.
1: <laughs> That's right. So what you want to do is um, make sure that caffeine and alcohol, um, you want to wait at least um, no more then drinking um, two hours before you need to go to sleep. Four hours is the better. Um, Also some of the alcohol, some of the wines may cause acid reflux. So you definitely want to make sure that four hours before you're going to go to lay down, um, you want to make sure. What about food, Jay?
2: Food wise, you don't want to eat heavily. You may want to have just a small snack in case, depending on what you just ate. Let's say, um, for certain people, maybe just a little bit of peanut butter with crackers. Correct.
1: Yeah. Peanut butter is a great cause it's protein and it has a gly- glycemic index that just kind of helps sustain your blood sugars pretty stable throughout the night. Anything with a complex carbohydrate is a good one. Almonds. I love almonds, uh, yogurt, um, something like that, or like a trail mix, um, but you got to be careful of too much sugar. You don't want too much sugar, but you know, that big bowl of ice cream at night may not be the best for you to get a good night's sleep for your digestive tract. All right. So let's talk about our environment when we go to sleep. So well, let's
2: talk about the bed then. Oh, how old, we should talk about, you know, because how old is your bed? It, okay. Let's have a raise of hands. Is your bed older than seven years?
1: Yes, raise your hand if your bed is older than seven years old.
2: Do we have any All hands right. raised? I guess everybody's doing there good.
1: There is one raised hand. Ollie.
2: Okay.
3: Ollie it's Ollie.
1: Until- it's Allie. Oh, Ollie. Sorry,
3: Ollie. <laughs> <laughs> now where did
4: where did your lovely
3: host go? <laughs> I don't
1: I don't know where he went for a second, but we've got you, Ollie. So tell us, how old is right your here. bed? Oh, geez, um, it's pretty old, but you know it, it's it's good because it's.
3: Exactly what I need. It's I don't have any problems with it.
2: Good. Well, they say anything older than between seven and ten years, and um, they're thinking that um, if you, as long as you're comfortable, that's okay. But they're thinking that anything that's older than the seven to ten years that you might want to start thinking about getting a new one.
1: And the reason why is Allie is do you know basically at night your body is regenerating itself, so you actually drop off cells. That add up. Mm-hmm. So your mattress actually weighs two, three times as much as it did when you first bought it. By the time yep. it is eight years old, so if you are like me and love to clean, <laughs> yeah, my bed I get a new one next year. Every seven years, I I I get a new I get a new mattress. And those of you that are out there, you want to make sure you flip, turn, and rotate your mattresses. Okay. Another
2: good thing to do though is get new sheets. Oh. That should be done every five years.
1: Yes. A minimum. Yes. And as the thread count increases, the length of the mm, material does last longer. Because I do have a pair of Egyptian sheets that are a thousand thread count. So um, but those are very special.
2: <laughs> those must be very comfortable.
1: Oh, they're extremely comfortable and they're somewhere in my linen closet and the reason why they're so special is I can't find them right now. <laughs> um, and I think they're I don't anyways. Um, so yes, they are thread count is important. I don't do any, anything less than 350. Um, I just don't like it. Um, what about those cotton ones? I let's see anybody out there sleeping with cotton as their linens raise your hand anybody raising their hands
2: there are no hands raised
1: okay yeah I don't like them either they they tend to be a little bit of hotness so you know Jay all the doctors and oh
5: Janine you have something to say unmute yourself yeah I have the cotton t-shirt ones and I also have flannel i really like flannel because they're cozy i have some with snowmen and trees and then i also have um silky ones and i have orange ones like i have lots of sheets i have a sheet obsession a little bit because (laughs) i like to change them so yeah but what's wrong with sleeping on the t-shirt sheets terry they're so comfy i think they're too hot they're too hot for me yeah but that's don't wear clothes
1: then who says i do Anyways, (laughs) Anyways, <laughs> okay, the so next yeah, subject, <laughs> <laughs> they're still too warm for me. I don't like them, but it's okay. That's why I love being able to have a way of
5: agreeing to disagree. Yeah, it's a so you like.
2: Everybody's different,
5: that's right. I do like the t shirt sheets. I have size queen sheets, that's a good gift present. FYI, oh, <laughs>
1: FYI. Okay, <laughs> maybe some hella.
5: Maybe some Hello Kitty. I'll have to look it up. (laughs) Or maybe I'll just come and take your sheets from your closet, the Egyptian sheets. Uh, No. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Okay. Thanks, Janine. Another um, thing,
2: in your room, you should also keep the temperature around 70 degrees.
1: Yes. Cooler is better for you to sleep. And maybe that's why I don't like the cotton because I usually keep my house at 72. Okay. So, Jay, we forgot one of the most important rules of your bedroom. There's only two things you should do in your bedroom you should sleep and you should only have sex. You shouldn't read. You shouldn't have electronics and definitely no TV watching. It should be your sanctuary of sleep. So, basically, what we're going to do is we're going to talk about sleep hygiene. That means you set up a way. That you prepare your body to go to bed so that the melatonin, which melatonin is the hormone that's released that tells your body, okay, it's wind down mode. So what do you know about melatonin, Jay?
2: I know it's produced naturally and you can also get it um, over the counter also.
4: Exactly. You, also,
2: you can also ch- um, definitely check with your doctor you know, about this if you have any kind of problem sleeping also.
1: Correct. Before you take any over-the-counter, oh, I need help going, like, mm, mm, those nighttime assistance over-the-counter medications, um, any type of supplements, even melatonin, you always, always want to communicate with your medical team, with your physician's. And even especially your pharmacist, because your pharmacy will know all about your pharmacokinetics of all your medicine. And a pharmacokinetics is a fancy term for how the medicine breaks down in the body. And sometimes um, if we gave Jay melatonin and gave me melatonin, because of our different body types and um, medications that we're on and disease processes, it might be different. So it's so important to talk to your pharmacist so he can assist you on if you're having a side effect or not and the warning
2: signs. So always, I, had w- I had one medicine that doctor goes, are you getting a lot of sleep with that? I didn't want to have him give him the heart and tell him that I was wide awake with it because it took the pain away, but it kept me awake. And it wasn't supposed see, to.
1: But CJ, why were you scared to t- communicate with your doctor of exactly what was going on? Do you know there's actually a syndrome? No, I don't. Yes. It's called the white coat syndrome where you technically, well, that's, that's the layman's term, but there is a medical term for it. I just forgot to write it down. And, um, it's basically you want to be the best patient you want to be, or you feel that your need is not as important as maybe the next person. And you don't want to take the time up with your medical team. But what I remember And I want you guys to remember this. And we talked about this a few weeks is when you're in front of that doctor, I want you to remember you're the MVP. You're the most valuable player. And the only time and the only thing that they need to focus on is on you right there and then. And once you walk out of that office, you may not see them for a year. Or if you're lucky like me, I see my doctor every three months. So it is so important that even the littlest thing, hair falling out, not sleeping, anything, the littlest things, you need to communicate with your doctor. Most of us, most of the medical team members, we love to watch our sports, which is ESPN, but we were not taught in medical school how to be mind readers. So we really need you to communicate. So how do you feel about that, Jay, now?
2: I think good put, good, because they need to know what I know. Exactly. So they can help me.
1: Exactly. Because it's all about you and me and every person on this call. It's about every one of us having the highest quality of life. So let's get back on.
2: Right. So when, let's say a couple hours before you are about to be ready to go to sleep. Okay. I know that I got to stop drinking my coffee or for me, I like to drink my Mountain Dew, which has even more caffeine in it than even coffee does.
1: That is very true. Also, um, juices got to be careful with the high concentration. So, a nice drink to have is a nice tea. A chamomile tea is nice, but again, you always want to make sure that if you aren't have good bladder training, um, you want to make sure that you do decrease the intake of your fluids as the evening goes down, so you don't have to get up in the middle of the night. So that is very, very good. So don't be at nine o'clock at night, realizing you haven't drank your eight ounces of water today and decide to drink your 32 ounces. (laughs) Cause you won't be getting your solid seven hours of sleep. Um, Also what's really important. I don't know if there's any other night shifters here or shifters that work odd hours. Um, For the 28 years I was in the medical field, um, 20. Uh, yeah, probably 19 years. I was a night shifter. So what I did was I learned never to look at a.m. or p.m. So I was always in bed by 10 and awake by four. So if I was going from day shift to night shift and uh, I'm OK, I so I would always wake up at 10 and I would go to bed at 10 and wake up at 4, and then if I was swinging from night shift to day shift, I got um, a nap between 2 and 4. Jay, you were a night shifter. What would you
4: do?
2: Well, what I would do is, let's say, I would go to sleep as soon as I got home from from work, and then I would also catch maybe a couple hours just before work, get that that cat nap or whatever to get a little bit more rest. So that way I'd be good and ready for work the uh, to in your room to help you so that way you're blocking off some of that light is having nightshades
1: oh my goodness I had those um blackout curtains and boy did they really black out but now I don't need them so much me neither (laughs) so one of the other things that's really challenging is um your environment so we covered sounds your bed Also, we forgot about pillows. So you want to make sure that your pillows are doing the right thing for you. Your pillows should be evaluated and new as well.
2: Yeah, constantly evaluate them because there's all kinds of pillows and all kinds of different things. And they even have, let's say, pillows. I know you shouldn't be doing this with speakers in them. So let's say you can hear this way you can hear um, night sounds.
1: Well, that's one of the other things I wanted to talk about. There are a lot of helpful things. Um, My favorite is YouTube has free um, sounds, environmental sounds like ocean waves or mountain streams or forests where you hear the birds and the other animals. That one Janine might like. Um, That wakes
2: me up, though. Because then I'm thinking there's an animal next to me.
1: (laughs) Well, that's the thing that's so neat, Jay, is we're all human first and we all have different tastes and flavors. And it's what makes each one of us. So YouTube, I know Sheila sent me a beautiful um, email regarding ocean sounds. And we have so many wonderful calls on our ACB community about meditation. And that is what I try to do every night before I go to bed about 10 to 15 minutes just to calm my mind down and try to unwind. And I do play music from YouTube. That's meditation just to help me not think about anything, but just to rest. So that's my advice on that. So let's talk about our snores. Is snoring a good thing, Jay?
2: Well, (laughs) technically, no. (laughs) Right. But I know I am a snorer.
1: Okay, so here, here I go. I'm putting on my respiratory therapist hat on. Everybody, hold on for the ride. So, snoring is not just um, someone trying to wake you up for the fun while you're sleeping. Snoring is a sign of there may be a potential sleep disorder, but it's definitely a sign of a of a airway obstruction of some sort. Now, there's totally minor. And then there's severe obstruction. So what I'm talking about is minor is you might have inflammation of your sinuses. You might have um, your tonsils might be swollen. You might have a sore throat. Um, You might have airway irritation. You might have a cold where your nose is all congested from your sinuses, draining down and irritating your throat and the back of your larynx. Um, So all that can cause snoring. Um, but that's normally in a temporary state and we know that we can take nasal decongestion. For those of us that suffer from allergies, I want you guys to think for a second, if you're taking a daily allergy medication and you're still feeling a little groggly in the morning and it says take one a day, such as your Claritin, Claritin Claritin-D, um, Alaric, I can go on the whole list. There's a big long list of all the allergy medicines out there. Um. Why don't you switch it to an evening one time a day? Just because the bottle says to take one in a day does not mean it has to be on your AM schedule. So I always take my allergy medicine, which I take Claritin, not Claritin D, just Claritin. I take that at night and it helps me sleep a lot better. And then I wake up and I'm not congested and I'm breathing a lot better. So just wanted to share that tidbit with you. And medications, if you're having problems sleeping, like Jay shared earlier, you may want to sit down and have a good conversation with your pharmacist, the nurse practitioner, your PA, somebody on your medical team and say, I'm just not sleeping. Can we look at our, can we look at my medication list and see if there's something that's interacting? And again, you always want to talk about your supplements with the team. Okay, so. If you have a partner who is a snorer, the first thing I recommend is not to get in a pillow fight because that can lead to a whole nother thing. Right, Jay?
2: Definitely. Especially <laughs> who
1: wins a pillow fight. The feathers. <laughs> so anyways, so no pillow fighting at this time. What you can do, though, is adjust your partner. Um, most people, I think, shake and wake, which is Okay except that might not be um, a permanent situation, but you might want to turn them from their back to their side and all that. And normally when it's a mild um, inflammation process going on for the upper airway, that will resolve it. Um, There's the head tilt, chin lift that kind of pops the tongue out of the way a little bit, but it's not a normal state for us to sleep in. So when that Starts happening, and unfortunately, with all of us being in corona isolation, we tend to be evaluating our choices with more carb intake, and we might be gaining a little bit of weight. And unfortunately, when you gain a little bit of weight, um, and there are certain things that you can go on to the American Academy of Sleep Medicine, which I'll make sure to put the link on our Facebook page where you can go look. There's guidelines for how wide your neck is. If you have a neck that is larger than 18 inches, the gentleman, you have a high probability of having what's called OSA, which is obstructive sleep apnea. And that's when you need to have a sleep study. So if you've done all you can to evaluate your partner, especially when you hear them snoring and then they stop snoring pull the covers off, and see if you even have any chest rise. That is total obstructive sleep apnea. That is actually very, very dangerous. There are a lot of studies that have shown if you have obstructive sleep apnea and you are not being treated with all the different devices out there to help you sleep properly, sometimes it's a surgery, a minor surgery, Sometimes it's just some other things that need to be done. But the devices that have come out is amazing to help us sleep healthy. And there are so many sleep studies. There are sleep centers around the United States. There's only about 20, 2,600. So there is a local one. Again, you can go to the American Academy of Sleep, sleep Medicine to see which one is accredited. And that's where you want to go to get a sleep study done. But right now with our world we're living in, it may or may not be a priority. That's what I was having the doctor come on today to talk about how Corona is affecting sleep studies. But what is amazing, just like everything else in medicine, it has come to home care where they can actually do telemedicine and do a sleep study from, from home. But just to help you understand what a sleep study all entails, is basically we put every monitor that you can think of. We put a three lead EKG on you. We put a pulse that, which is monitoring the rhythm of your heart. Then we put what's called a pulse oximeter on you, which is the little red light on your finger to see your oxygen level. Then we put another sensor in your nose to see how you're breathing and how much CO2 you're exhaling, which is your waste product of your breathing. Then we put about, 42 different leads on your forehead. Yeah, you heard me. It's an EEG for your brain. So we're looking at your brain waves. So there's uh oh yeah, and we're monitoring you to what? Go to sleep. Sleep. So <laughs> So let's see. Can anybody raise their hand if they've ever had a sleep study? Do we have
5: any hands up? Oh, we have Janine-
3: Janine's hand, but it might be from earlier.
5: Oh, okay. <laughs> I was raising my hand to say, um, ask you, you know how you say when you have your partner and you turn them over, um, that doesn't always work. And if you hit them with a pillow, that doesn't work. They still (laughs) snore. And then when you get the sleep study, which I did to my last partner, they said, he just snores. We had to just deal with it. He just snores? I would have gone to another sleep center. (laughs) Yeah. No, he just snores. There's no problem. There's no problem. Oh,
2: if he okay when he's snoring does he pause <laughs> is there a pause in there and how long uh, is the pause
5: i don't know it's so loud i i get a headache oh. and i and think you need the, him.
2: and the other part of it is is the person getting enough rest yes. because the more that yes. he's not, the poor, more that he's not getting enough rest the more louder the snore will be Mm
5: -hmm. No, he gets enough rest. He was getting rest. He's just very, very loud. And, you know, Terry is loud, too, when she snores, by the way. Oh, thanks, Janine.
4: (laughs) I love you.
5: (laughs) (laughs) So so just to
1: let you know.
5: How do we fix
1: the snoring? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I don't normally should be going to sleep while I'm on a Zoom call with my pillow where it was at. (laughs) God bless America. One time, one or okay, maybe two. But, <laughs> You're not okay. the only one. It's okay. So, yeah, there's some of us on Zoom that have kind of dozed off with our family and friends, and that's because we're comfortable. So, real quick, just to let you know. Um,
3: <laughs>
1: oh lordy, what
4: Next kind of machines will I get? It's going to
1: be good. So Janine, thank you for bringing that up. So if you go and have a sleep study, they're looking at two things, obstructive sleep apnea, and then seeing if there's any um, neurological effects going on. Like sometimes you might be having seizures in your sleep that you don't know because they're very mild. Um, so if that was negative, they should have, they the medical team should have said, let's go see an ENT doctor. And that's an ear, nose, throat doctor. So if, if your sleep study comes back negative, meaning you don't have obstructive sleep apnea, or you don't have any neurological reasoning for obstructing your airway, um, or you may stop breathing because of a neurological reasoning, because the signals to your diaphragm might be interfered by the vagus nerve, and I'm just not going to go in any further than that. But there are people that actually stop breathing in their sleep, and they make no noise when they do it. And that's even more dangerous. So what I'm here to say is, is if you go get a sleep study and he's still snoring and he's still alive because you didn't suffocate him with a pillow fight and a feather went in his throat, go see an ENT doctor. Because there's always a reason for our symptoms. If you don't get an answer from that medical person that you're communicating with, don't stop. You have to be your self-advocate. You If get you had your own. tonsils
2: out when you were a kid, can your tonsils grow back?
1: No, your tonsils don't grow back, but you yes, can get do. a pus pocket.
2: Yes, they can.
1: Well, yeah, they can. That's true. That's true. Because but actually it's rare. It's it rare. is rare,
2: but yeah. um because my our my one son actually had to have his tonsils removed twice and it grew back again.
1: Wow. Yeah, I should have said it's possible cuz the human body anything is possible with the human body. But you have yes. to be careful. You know, even if you had your tonsils ad, you got your adenoids back there and you can create pest pockets, especially if you um, don't have good oral hygiene, you can get um, infections back there and create pest pockets that can cause obstructions. So that's have
2: got what, you know, I'm two trying types of
1: doctors to keep in touch. We've got our neuro doctors and our sleep doctors, and then we've got our ENT doctors. So there are three different doctors that you can communicate with your primary that you want to figure out and get down to the bottom of it. Remember, we're practicing medicine. We're not. I get so jealous of those mechanics out there that you can just take your car and you know. Wouldn't it, Wouldn't it be great if we could just in the ER, um, Jay, in the ambulance, have like this little plug that plugs into our um, our umbilicus into our belly button and be like, "Oh, error message twelve nineteen fifty two. Oh, that was a recall. Oh no, never mind." <laughs> where it would be so easy to know and diagnose very quickly. Um, being in the medical field, Jay, have you ever in one hour, like the TV shows, been able to diagnose a patient? No. And three- Unfortunately,
2: we're not like uh, Star Trek.
1: Yeah, I know, right? I thought by now we would have those. Wouldn't that be great? Just a scanner? Mm. So, But we do have so many wonderful technology, and um, I will do some research. So. Let's talk about what I know know, about sleep, obstructive sleep apnea and the devices that are available. So most people in home actually have two main choices. CPAP, which is continuous positive airway pressure. So that means that there is one set pressure that is maintained in the airway through a mask, through nose or an entire face mask To maintain that while you sleep, the other one is called BiPAP. BiPAP stands for bi level, bi level pressure of positive airway pressure. So, bi meaning two. So, you have a higher pressure set for the inspiratory when you take a breath in. Everyone take a deep breath in. And then, when we go to exhale, there's going to be an end pressure that's five to 10 centimeters of water that's actually the same of a continuous BiPAP machine. So just to make it a little bit more confusing, um, you've got two modes of positive airway pressure. The one which is continuous is one set pressure. And then the second one is BiPAP, which means you have two set pressures on your machine. Now there are other devices out there um, that are just a cannula that trigger flow Cause as we know, flow flow and pressure work together. <clears throat> and then that's how pressure is created by increasing flow and how our nasal pharynx or our upper airway works to create that pressure to keep all the tongue, the larynx, and keep everything in the proper position for you to be able to sleep and rest. Okay. And Do they'll you have also any hands up. Oh, go ahead, Jay.
2: They'll also with those machines, they'll have it humidified. With air, it'll blow that uh, humidified oxygen or air into into you so you stay moist. It'll help. Well,
1: actually, now, Jay, there's a lot of. I was so excited about having somebody from the American Association or American Academy of Sleep Medicine because there's some controversy about that humidification um, because of the washout that occurs. Unless you have heated wires for your BiPAP circuitry. Um, just like you mentioned earlier, having 70 degree room temperature and for every one sonometer of tubing that you have from your machine to your apparatus, your um, interactive apparatus being a nasal mask or a face mask or a cannula, you actually decrease the humidity. And what happens is, is rain out. So if you have a four foot um, tubing that's not heated, you'll never actually catch the humidity will never be 37 at the um, mask. And there's been a lot of um, humidity devices over the time period for home use um, where they tried humidity and they tried to put the temp by the mask and they have meltdowns. But I will tell you, when you go to the hospital, that's where we have the more expensive equipment and we don't have to deal with the insurance home home care equipments, the DMEs. We want to make you healthy and warm, moist air helps with what's called the ciliary motility. So what is all that you're talking about, Terry? Okay, so when you actually have a system in your lungs that help keep your lungs clean, there are these little hairline follicles called ciliary that lines the trachea. And when you wake up in the morning and you do that little coughing clearing, That's because those hair light follicles all night long while you were resting, as long as you were not dehydrated, was actually cleaning your lungs while you slept. So those of you that are smokers out there may hear or know someone that smokes about the smoker cough. So just to give you an understanding, what nicotine does to the ciliary motility system is one puff of a cigarette. The nicotine paralyzes the ciliary motility system for 20 minutes, for 20 minutes. That's one puff. So that's why when you go to bed and you know someone that's a smoker and they wake up in the morning, they sound like they're coughing up a lung. It's because while they finally went to sleep, the ciliary motility system wakes up and starts trying to clean the lungs out. I hope that helped answer about some cl- question.
2: Talking about cleaning, how do I clean the machine?
1: Oh, Jay, I'm so glad you asked that question. So first of all, you want to make sure you follow the manufacturer recommendation, and hopefully you got good education from the respiratory therapist that helps set up the equipment with you. But there are a lot of new products that are out there. You're supposed to clean it every day. Now, those of you guys that are out there that have CPAP and BiPAP know that can be very complicated, cleaning the mask and the tubing. So at least make sure you wipe down the mask inside. And if you have a cold, that's when you definitely want to make sure you clean everything. Now, there's these new systems that you can um, put your mask in and then it um, sets up a pressurized system and cleans it and sanitizes it. But currently at the time, I think the only ones um, that I've seen out there were approximately $400 each. And it's not cheap. And the technology is what we use in the hospital, just in a smaller version. So hopefully the technology will get better and the price will come down because that would definitely improve dynamics. But those of you that have CPAPs and BiPAP machines, make sure to look at your manufacturing manual. And if you don't have it, you Google online or you can email me and I'll be honored to look this up for you. There is a filter in your machine because not everybody has oxygen piped in. Remember, we're getting away from everyone getting oxygen because oxygen is a drug and we only give oxygen when it's indicated, but the machines do generate the flow and the pressure by filtering air. So you want to make sure your machine is set somewhere near your bed where there's clear of anything. Um, You don't want the curtains to be sucked in it or anything like that. And you need to clean that filter per your manufacturing recommendation. Some of them are every six months. Some of them are every month. Some of them are once a year. So you just need to make sure on your manufacturing about changing your filter on your CPAP and BiPAP. The second thing you need to be doing at least once a year is having the pressure system checked. And basically you take your machine into your doctor's office at least once a year, and tell them I'm bringing in my CPAP machine, I'm bringing in my BiPAP machine, and they put a manometer on the end of it, and they push the button on, and it makes sure it maintains that pressure, because there's nothing like making sure that um, you think you're doing the right thing with your equipment, and it's not functioning properly. The other thing is, is most of the BiPAP and CPAP equipment that's been out for the last 15 years actually has Bluetooth technology. And most of the insurance companies will set you up on the machine, but they actually can go in and see how often you're using it. And if you're not using it six hours a night, guess who's not going to pay for it? Your insurance company. Even though they've approved it, you have to be compliant in using the machine. So I just wanted to kind of let you guys know. And no, and you can't turn on your machine for six hours and turn it off. The machine knows.
2: Yes, <laughs> the machine, they know.
1: The machine knows when you're wearing versus just being on. So nice try. <laughs> I've seen some really awesome things. And if you go to the hospital, if you're going to go have, like, say you stubbed your toe and something happened to your toe and you had to have knee surgery and Because, you know, I tend to fall off golf carts, as some of you guys might have known. If you end up going into the hospital and you wear CPAP, BiPAP, or any of the nasal things, pack it up. Have a friend bring it into the hospital. Because we at the hospital really want you, if you are in for routine care, um, to have your home equipment. Because we want you to be restful. And those settings are going to be a lot more comfortable. Um, so if you go to a hospital and they are like, no, we don't, we we can't let you use your equipment. All you have to do is have your doctor write an order, may use home equipment. And then boom, you get to use your equipment. Okay. You
2: should probably see if there's any questions out there.
1: Okay, let's do that. Any questions?
2: There are two hands raised, three hands raised now.
5: Okay. Four hands. Us-
2: we have a A phone number that ends in 155.
5: Terry, I think your doctor's here. Oh, okay.
3: Hi, it's Melody. Hey, Melody. Hi, you guys are doing awesome, Terry and Jay. I love you guys. I love your calls. Um, My friend and I, she has a traumatic brain injury, and I have five psychiatric disorders, among other things, and We don't have any patterns to our sleep, especially right now because of corona. And we just, you know, we don't have to go anywhere, really. We don't have to answer to anyone except appointments, of course. And she, her dementia-like condition will cause her to want to wander at night. And I noticed that when I am with her more than when our boyfriend's with her or abusive boyfriend or when she's by herself, she'll sleep really well, especially if she's in my home in my bed because I have one of those sort of beds with the adjustable base that you can set it up and lean it's kind of like a hospital bed. So um, she will worry at two in the morning about cleaning her kitchen. That's when she'll wanna do, it. and she'll wanna sleep during the day, although she's very symptomatic of narcolepsy and sleep apnea. She snores sometimes like a freight train. And um, but when I, I kind of like to hear her breathing, I'm losing my hearing and she doesn't hear it all out of her left ear and I like to hear it when because I know that she's alive and she is Type 2 has type 2 diabetes. She recently survived quintuple bypass surgery, two heart attacks at least that we know of. And um, her brain injury is so severe. And I just wonder, you know, how, when I am with her, do I get her to go down at night and, you know, she'll want to. The radio station she has to have on is the heavy metal, new rock, hardcore. Oh. She's almost 59, and she can sleep to that.
2: That'll definitely you know, not
3: and um so, but she so. does it, she falls asleep and I can't do it because I'm a sex trauma survivor and they have, you know, some innuendos yeah. it's like, a ah, gas, so I gotta turn it <laughs> off when she gets to sleep. But she will um not drink any kind of warm liquid, no tea, no warm milk, no she has it has to be cold. And she she's easily distracted so and she loves it dark. Of course I don't mind that, but the lights have to be off and there has to be some kind of noise. Although eventually what I'll do when she she falls asleep is turn the T V off. I so I hear out, what you're right. saying. I hear what you're
1: saying, and it's a multi-multi level. And I want to take just a few minutes because, um, you know, we'll communicate off off the call, and because it's multi-layer. But one of the things you brought up of how she sleeps when you're with her or her partner is there is evidence-based research, and you can actually go to the website of American Academy Sleep Medicine. And there is studies about weighted blankets. Now, I've known about this because of working with pediatric and autism. There are blankets that have different kind of weights in them, which I do not know if the doctor's in the house. Um, I don't know what the optimum weight is, but if if you can get some kind of blanket that kind of snuggles her, because the most comfortable position you're going to go to sleep in is the safest. And like I was speaking to someone the other night, you know, it's like being back in your mom's arms or your dad's arms where you're cuddled and you're squeezed and you're held. So those blankets really help bring comfort, warmth, and um, pressure. So you might want to look at that. But real quick, I hope that okay. helps you for the moment. Um, I want to see, is there a doctor in the house? Do we have a doctor in the house?
0: Yes, I'm here. I'm Dr. Oh, Sheldon. hi! Hi. <laughs>
1: I apologize. I hope you hadn't been waiting long and I hope I did okay. Oh, no, that's okay. You're good. <laughs> <laughs> Can you say your name for me? Because I'm vis- I'm blind. I'm usually blind. And so my computer has this language called JAWS. And I'm not sure if I'm saying your name correctly. Can you pronounce yeah. your name for us?
0: Absolutely. It's Dr. Anita Shelgakar.
1: Okay. Um, time. What time is it, um, Tyson?
2: You have about four minutes left.
1: Four minutes left. Awesome. Okay, so you have four minutes (laughs) um, to add anything you would like.
0: Oh, for me, oh, I'm I'm happy to um answer questions if there are ones in particular. Did you want me to weigh in about the weighted blanket or was there something in particular?
1: Can you please? Yes, that would be fantastic.
0: Yeah, I mean there was to build on what you were just mentioning, there is uh there was a recently published study in the Journal of Clinical Sleep Medicine. Looking at uh, weighted chain blankets for management of insomnia in patients with various psychiatric disorders, and certainly the uh, the results from that were encouraging um, in terms of you know improvement in a, the a scale that's called the Insomnia Severity Index, um, and so it does seem like there may be a role for using these weighted chain blankets. So I think this will be a more active area of study in years to come as people start to look at the use of these blankets in different patient populations as well. Uh, You mentioned in pediatric patients and in patients with autism. So I, I do think there are some patient populations that have been studied in regards to use of weighted chain blankets, and I think that that will continue to grow. So, so far, I think it looks fairly promising for the data that are available so far.
1: Well, thank you for joining us. Um, I think we have time for one more question, and we definitely would love to have you back again and have an opportunity because sleep is so valuable. Sure, I'd be is happy another to. Another hand?
3: Yes, a number ending in six three
2: eight.
4: Hello, Cherry.
1: Hey, Beth. How you doing? From New Mexico. Pretty
4: good. Yeah.
1: You have a question um, for the doctor?
4: Yes. Well, you were mentioning about seizure mild it mild seizure activity, when I did my sleep study, that's what they said that I had. And I knew that while I've i had grand mal seizures before. So I kind of, you know, I kind of knew that. But but then how come um, you don't, I guess they're so mild that you don't feel them or anything like that, huh?
1: Well, I'm going to let our neurologist talk to us <laughs> about that.
4: Yeah, and
0: I'm sorry. Can you do you mind repeating the question one more time? I want to make sure I understand correctly. What um,
4: your question is? If you have mild seizures when you sleep, but you you don't feel them. I mean, uh, you don't know you have them till probably the next morning or something like that. Uh, it was noted that on that her.
1: It was noted on her EEG during sleep studies, but she didn't realize she was having them.
4: Okay. But I knew I did have grand mal seizures like during the well, not during the day, but, you know, at any other time, you know, other mm-hmm. times.
0: Right. Um, so the question is how to how to follow up from there at that
4: point, knowing this information. You know, now. Um, why? Why is that? Why is that that uh, you do have those and you don't know about them?
0: Yeah, you know, to be honest, that can happen. That's a function of different type of seizures that can happen at various times of day, both during sleep and during wakefulness. Um, depending on, um, I think, the area of the brain where the seizure is generated, and also the degree of spread to different portions and areas and regions of the brain um, that may be influenced by the seizure activity may influence the perception of symptoms or loss of time or other things like that. So that is something that we can see even when patients have seizures during wakefulness as well. So uh, sometimes we do find what we call electrographic seizures, which is when the brain is having seizure activity, but clinically or when we're looking at somebody and observing them, we may not see manifestations of that. So I think in light of the information that was found on your sleep study, certainly important to follow up with your, uh, with your doctor or healthcare provider, particularly a neurologist if you don't already uh, have one that you've been working with.
4: No, in this little town, I can't get a neurologist, but also I was wondering, would a weight blanket would a weighted blanket help uh, help me in any way like that? So, so, I, okay,
1: um, sorry. so Okay, so I am so six. sorry. I'm so sorry, ladies. Um, Beth, I will reach out to you. Um, Dr. Yeah, okay. Sh- <laughs> I'm going to reach out to you to reschedule another full hour or maybe even two hours as we didn't even get to barely touch the, um, the iceberg of sleep. But we really appreciate you being here. But unfortunately, we have to end our stream and jump onto another call.
0: I understand. I just wanna say that the weighted blanket is not a treatment for epilepsy.